You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. I want to welcome you to listen to the Sharon Klein Hour, Earth and Your Health. And each week, when it's our show, almost two, two years later, we have a message, water and your health and earth. You're living with earth. It's not living with you. And the show about is to, to tell you each week is about what you need to learn and remind yourself, and I'm sure you already know it, but we're going to remind ourselves every day about what is important in your daily life and the ecosystem you're living in and your participation. Your participation is you taking care of yourself and learn every possible method you can to get out of bed every day, touch the floor with your feet, and begin a footprint to live your life and to the fullest, but you must learn to take care of your health. And it isn't complex. It's simple. You are made up of 50 trillion cells of water. You're living in the air you're breathing. You have challenges. But it's so simple. Water. Without it, there is no earth, and without it, there is no health. For some reason, we got carried away way back in time forgetting about the water. And I'm going to mention today, and I'm going to challenge the National Nutrition Chart, there is not one glass of water on the nutrition chart. Water is a species, water is nutritious, and they don't have one glass of water. So let's say to save a child, let's t- t- learn how we all should be drinking water and emphasize drink water. Now the population on the earth this week is 6,766,994,482 people that need water to survive and be healthy. Although we have 1.8 million children die every year on the face of the globe 5,000 deaths a day because of lack of water and sanitation. We are not too smart. And I'm bringing up the children because they need the rest of us that are supposed to learn to be smarter. And we're learning to be smarter without the water. There is no earth. There is no health. It can't be just the chemistry compounds, pop it in and and apply it on. You've got to have plenty of water. And now that we've learned that the National Academy of Science announced that dry air causes flu, Now you've learned your eyes are dry, your skin is dry. Obviously, there's something we need to learn. We've got to learn what we need to do with the water. It's not a simple subject, but it's less expensive than a lot of the things you've been doing for a long time. I wanted to announce today that IBM is diving into water. They're going to call it Big Green. They're getting involved and learning more about finding the markets for carbon management, alternative energy, water management, design, install systems, sensors, back-end software, monitoring, water, pipes, reservoirs, rivers, harbors, and, of course, the oceans. I am so excited. Thank you, IBM. Thank you. Because I do believe that is a huge future, and if we want to bring a new amount of money to your country here in America, it's the energy of thinking that way. We must learn to learn more about the water. And I can't express to you every day when you look at a puddle of water, 
There wouldn't be a puddle sitting there on that ground if there wasn't water under it to hold it. Always remember that, that when you get up in the morning, start your day with water. Have a glass of water and hopefully a glass of warm water. Watch those pipes, though, because those pipes may not be as healthy as you would hope so that when you're hanging on to the faucet, the hydraulic, let it run for a little while before you have your first glass of water. Don't, and then don't turn it off and turn it back on. That has a hydraulics problem of pulling up in the pipes what may have been clogged. So let it run for a little while. Have a glass of water. If you're really worried about it, buy your water, buy the, buy the jugs. Today we have a lot of fun. I'm really excited again. Tom Atzett has been joining us off and on who is an ecologist, and I, just, I really like having him on. And we got some topics today to talk about the soil, the climate change, accumulation of toxic materials like the ocean, and the hunger in water. So we're going to have a lot of fun with Tom, and his background is so exciting for all of us. Listen, go to the classroom with us, and we will learn. Our second guest is Art Bernstein again, and we're going to go back into the American Rivers and cut through some of the major mountain ranges as the Columbia, as the rivers come through those mountain ranges that Earth had formed so long ago for the rest of us. That means mountains with strength, protection, courage, wisdom, and they do offer a breath of life. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Biologic Aqua Research Centers, Nature's Tears Eye Mist for Dry Eyes Without Eye Drops. We'll listen to our sponsor and be right back with Tom Atzett. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Tom, how are you today? Really good. Raining in Oregon as well as it should be. Yes, everybody in Oregon likes the rain because they know it's preparing for the summer season, and you have to have that absorption. Well, that's that's where our water comes from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I wanted to tell you, I want to thank you for taking your time again and, and joining us. And in this, I call it the classroom with you. Um, I was really looking forward to some of these topics about. The soil, what is happening to the soil? Because a lot of times we'll have different people from the U.S. Forest Service on, and I'll ask them uh, what the mountain ranges are representing and about the soil, and I felt badly because sometimes that is not their expertise to tell me about the soil. But well, today, let me, let me uh, go back a little bit about one of the basics, and you mentioned water not being on the nutrition chart. And I think that's because we often don't deal with the basics. Let me go one a uh, step further, say, down to the basics and say that there is no uh, precaution about breathing the air. And why is that? It's because it's almost uh, without given. It's a given, so to speak. It's so basic that we don't even pay any attention to it anymore. So when you talk about, you know, breathing and drinking, it's 
not even on the charts, so to speak, so because it's so basic. Isn't that sad, too, because I remember years ago, Tom, when they were doing the nutrition chart, and they put multi-millions into all that they did to try to make it that pyramid. Then all of a sudden I noticed, oh, my gosh, they don't have the water. And uh, then they decided they did something wrong, and I thought, ah, they realized they didn't have the water. They came back and did what they thought was the correct one, but never did the water. Through the years, it's been sad that our earth cannot live without water. Why wouldn't they have water at the top of the pyramid? And Because nothing will be uh, digested. Nothing will be nutritionalized without the water as an ingestion. And they, to detoxify. So you're right. And Earth, Earth is the greatest example. Without the rain, we'd be living like uh, the Iraq desert. Right. And we're, we also, in Oregon here, have had a dust-up about the field burning and the air we breathe mm-hmm. and the idea that it's not that we just uh, need to breathe air, but we need to breathe clean air. And it reminds me of some of the basics. There was this big uh, controversy between uh, uh, Kramer, Jim Kramer, the economist that, that has a TV show, and John Stewart that has a comedy show. And, uh, and John Stewart said to Kramer, one of the things that we tend to forget are the basics that work that creates wealth, You're not moving around money. And so it was kind of interesting that here uh, on a comedy show is someone telling us, so let's get back to the basics. So that's kind of what we're doing. Well, you know today. what it is too, Tom, is when times are not good. And our earth has been operating for several years thinking, oh my gosh, it took us decades to get here. This is wonderful. This will be the way it will be. This is what we've always wanted on our planet. They get to feeling so good about all of the adrenaline and all of the excitement that they forgot they're feeling too good. (laughs) Now, did you follow me? Because I had a young man recently tell me we had arrived uh, back east and the driver was saying he used to be in the real estate business and he invested and he had become a, a driver and a car because to make ends meet because he had lost so much money in the real estate and he couldn't believe what, how that happened and I mentioned to him you really it was exciting and he said oh my gosh he was just making so much money and I said there's our problem you were thinking that would never go away you were feeling too good about it always remember if you feel too good maybe you better stop and think it won't last you've got to back up take a uh, look at everything and I think with our planet Tom your world, thank gosh, you're there. But the planet has been here for millions and millions of years, and you're right. We're forgetting that it's, it's, it will be there for eternity only if we start taking a look at it and not taking it for granted. And, and there is one, one thing that is uh, a biological or ecological uh, maxim, and that's the idea that there are limits uh, that are imposed on species in ecosystems so that when the populations become too large and become exploitive, they're beaten back because the system responds. And so you always have this, what a lot of people call a Now let's stop you for a second because I want to understand so the audience understands. When you said the word we're beaten back, when the population grows and all of a sudden our vulnerability and our ecosystem as, an, as a vulnerability and, and influence 
is beaten back. What do you mean by beaten back? Well, one of the one of the basic again going back to the basics. One of the basic tenets of ecology is the carrying capacity or the density, density. of a particular population. Okay. And if it grows too big for the resources, mm-hmm. then it's that's what I meant by beaten back. Okay. You get mortality, and mortality is a very important function in ecosystem processes. Mm-hmm. So you have to have birth and you have to have mortality. You have to have growth. All of these things you have to have. They're basic, just like water and air. Now, you said the word something that I'm, in fact, I'm getting ready for a research project to complete a description and diagram and, um, and, and emphasis on birth. Mm-hmm. You're, you're put, at the moment you're conceived, you're in water. You come out at birth and the birth begins air, Mm -hmm. and then you begin to dehydrate. That's loss of moisture because you're no longer surrounded by that that water bubble. You're dehydrating to the moment you've died. Mm -hmm. And you just said something fascinating because the earth will will not lift forever if we don't start taking serious the species living on it, and making sure that we're living with the earth the way earth was hoping we will live with it and value and not take it for granted. I'm a believer, Tom, and you can add to this, I'm a believer, don't go extreme. How, look how long it takes earth to do something. It goes through seasons. Right. And the seasons change because maybe you can answer this for me. I'm not a believer, but I'm not an expert who, and I don't think anybody is, but that the climate change is because of global warming caused by mostly man. I'm a believer that Earth cycle is an organism and it's going to change no matter with or without us. Mm-hmm. With or without us, I believe this. Right. So when you have a climate change, that's a cycle of what you just said maybe, that you, you're going to be beaten back. In other words, you've got to flow with the cycle of the way Earth is flowing. And if you don't, you're going to have a problem with your footprints here. Right, and that's why the, I sent in some of the, the things that people are talking about right now as critical environmental issues. I always like to get back to the basics of human nature. Exactly. And what the uh, ecosystem can provide. And that's why I was talking about the idea of climate change or soil exhaustion, mm-hmm. of toxic materials, the idea yeah. of carrying capacity the idea of biodiversity, all of these things are basic uh, ecological issue issues that are facing the earth right now. And like you say, if we don't give them their just due, they're going to come back to bite us in the you-know-where. Well, and then we're making, you know, they're talking now about the global, I'm calling it economic climate. Yes. I'm also calling that an eco-problem. Um, I'm saying is if, okay, our global economic problem, well, my gosh, Tom, if we don't get a global economic plan long-term with each person taking a little part with their own daily activities, we're going to dry up and blow away. Diseases are out of control. You know, the National Academy of Science, as you read recently with a Associated Press release, said that dry air causes flu. I've studied that one for three, uh, 30 years. Secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. 
Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio.
Tom, are you with us? <laughs> yes, well, I they had that. technical problems, and I want to tell the audience, this is what happens, as we all know. It can happen anywhere in the world. Uh, but back to what we were talking about, the ecosystem and the earth and uh, the planet, living with this planet. I wanted to talk about the soil, because when, when you live where you live, and let's say, audience, you reach down, and today when you're walking around and you touch the soil, Tom, how important is that soil for our ecosystem, for our health? In a way, it's kind of, you could visualize it as kind of a bank, is that the soil starts out as, say, some kind of geologic rock and gradually builds, and it uses solar energy and water as input, and then it also dissolves the minerals that are within that soil so that they're available to the plants, which feed us. So every time you get a day with sunlight or water or even just heat, you're building up interest, so to speak, in this bank. And that's what the soil is. It is our basis for life. Okay, it let's is say, the store of water. So it has one of the most important reservoirs for plants in terms of water uh, on Earth. And okay, let's say we, the human species, Tom... I'm going to reach into something, and we're not going to get you with your background to say anything of fat matter of fact, but theories. I'm saying that we have people who live in, in Oregon, and there's a particular soil in parts of Oregon. Then you go over to California, there's another particular type of soil. Then right. you go over to the, let's say you go to New York State, and then over, maybe you go over to Iraq, maybe you go into Mexico, you go into different countries, and you have, you're living as a species where that, that soil or that ground cover is located. Right. When you're living, when the soil looks very fertile and very moist, the species would live maybe healthier than if you go over where it's so dry. Oh, yes. So that one, when you were talking about southwestern Oregon, everyone that lives here and thinks about the ecosystem and the soil knows that there are these very basic soils that are very low in fertility. They're mm -hmm. called serpentines. Mm -hmm. They also have toxic minerals in them that very few plants can tolerate. So what you're saying about, say, looking at that particular geologic substrate, or in other words, so, uh, parent rock, or say if you go to California and you're in the Sierras, you have granites, and they have a certain fertility that are associated with them, just like the serpentines have a certain infertility that are associated with them. And so, yes, you, you're right. Okay, then and, and right. if you go over to, let's say, uh, a location like Iraq, and you've got sand everywhere. What, what are they up Their health has to live with that dryness. Well, in areas where there's just basically sands that, it, that are derived from granitic, granitic materials, it's almost like marbles, almost like glass. There's very low fertility associated with those soils because most of the fertility is what maybe blows in uh, through the wind and is incorporated into the soil. But the, the newly formed sands over there are very infertile. That's why you do not see any vegetation on them. 
<laughs> but where you have, like in the, when the Nile Delta is probably one of the best examples where you have floods coming down from quite a draw, you know, quite a basin, and they flood the Delta. And the Delta is the most fertile area because it has minerals taken from everywhere and deposited uh, in that Delta area. So your geologic parent rock, whether it comes in with wind or comes in with, with rain and flooding or whether it's just weathers in place, is one of the most important characteristics for soil fertility uh, in, you know, in the world. Now, when you say the word delta so people around the world can understand delta, your description of delta is what? Is where the water, the rivers start to deposit the material that they're carrying during floods. Okay. And so that material, like I say, is really important. Well, where I'm coming from, Tom, and it's, I don't want to put you ever on a spot on this because your field is another uh, evaluation, but, and, but when human species are living, let's say, over on a very fertile soil, and led, then they, the human species, there's another species that was born and raised, and like uh, Iraq or India or other countries that are very dry. Then we have humans that move around. They move from place to place and maybe live for a while someplace extreme or travel to be a guest on a vacation, let's say. Can you imagine how hard that is on a human species that was born more hu- in a more fertile soil or a person who was born into more of a dry location, let's say sand location what the health what is happening to the health of our our species on this climate uh, on this planet mm-hmm. well that's kind because of you like... mentioned that one time to me you said well if you walk over into the forest Sharon, and you would uh, get a seedling uh, that is growing in one spot and you move it to the other spot in the forest that changes something yes that's what well, i'm well, after well what what one of the things you were talking about there is there there's there's tribes and there's people in the dry areas and the wet areas in the world that are, are they travel, they pick up and move. And that's why we were talking about the idea about soil exhaustion, is that one of the reasons people move is that they exhaust the readily available, the low-hanging fruit, so to speak, uh, available resources in the area, and then they move. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that what that allows is that particular area to refurbish, so to speak, its fertility. And mm-hmm. so when you have in our country, like when you have crop rotation year after year and you don't put anything back, you mm-hmm. get soil exhaustion. And we have to remind ourselves where I'm coming from is the human, we humans, we people. When we get out of bed every morning and we're at that spot, we have to realize how important it is that we learn how to live with the planet at that spot. What, what, take a look around us. Don't, it's like you said, Tom, don't take for granted uh, where you're at, what you're doing, and what you must, what you, uh, must do to feed yourself with, with, for your healthy benefits. And they're always so simple, Tom. They're not complex. Uh, you know, we're, we, we're not robots. That's why I like to get back to the basics because regardless of the field, people have to be reminded of the basics in order to keep their feet on the ground and think about the footprint they're making. 
Yes. Now, on um, the issues of what you're talking about, the climate change and all that we flow with Earth changes, because Earth is an is a, is a organism living. We're living with it. It created us uh, and the powers that go with it. Uh, when you're talking about a climate change, and I'm not going to ever talk about global warming. I'm going to say climate change. When you're seeing this happening and this discussion and definition, what is happening with your background and your mind to think about all the controversy and how confusing this is to people who have never studied it and go rely upon others who know more on the subject matter What's your feeling about what is happening out there with this confusing, confusing and comp- making comp- very complex what I call climate change? Well, with, I have a big uh, uh, vendetta going on right now, so to speak, with a lot of the people that I work with to keep agendas out of sight. You want to well, you want to maybe say and don't let me put words in your mouth. Criticize me if I'm doing this wrong. A pet peeve you might have. Yes, and so so. Okay. There's, there's been so much going on where people have, in science, have come up with the conclusion that they want to support, and then they go out and cherry-pick the information that they need to support their agendas. That's not science. That's politics. And so one of the things that's going on is that, uh, that makes a lot of the issues that we're dealing with a lot more complex is the creeping of politics in science. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking to a lady from the Illinois Valley that called me this morning about her particular uh, project she wanted funding. And one of the things they asked her that if she wanted to keep it funded, she had to make sure that she monitored her results and they had to be monitored correctly. In other words, we don't want you saying you have good results without the science to prove it. Exactly. And that's kind of where I'm coming from. More and more, we're getting people, even from universities, and you have said before, because they want to get money, that they have this premise, whether it's global warming, whether it's carbon trading, or whatever it is, they have this premise that they want to support, and they go out and get the data that supports their agenda. This is killing us, because... It's giving us uh, contradictory information and making a lot of the issues more complex than they already are. And believe me, they are very complex. And it shouldn't be, and sadly, it's a life at stake. It shouldn't be a hobby for greedy greedy reasons. Now, we're in this uh, spot on Earth and the planet. There's a word coming out called greed. And people think, well, what would I miss? What could I lose? If it doesn't go anywhere, anywhere, I'll just try. And, you know, um, and I've been saying, too, uh, we've got to stop that attitude. Uh, it's so vital to everybody's life around us, and this is why I like the subject of the ecosystem understanding. Where I, where I believe you and I come from today is getting each person to realize how important we are to influence or affect each other. If that person does something that is not doing detailing, editing, and making sure that they're taking something so important and their information, when it's revealed, is as close to being almost perfect as humanly can, even though things change every moment, that they're taking advantage because of greed. Yes. 
Well, I just uh, another discussion I had. And the weather, the weather, and the soil, and the ecosystem, and everything about our life. There should be whenever you hear somebody say, "I'm raising multi billions to go out and learn more about climate change, uh, the uh, the global warming," and and they're really a layman out there, and they're not. They're, they don't have to back it up because they're laymen. The greed of all that money that's going to different directions is so confusing to even the what we would call people who took their whole life, like yourself and others, to study it. And all of a sudden, you're going, "Oh my God, you've got to get a little confused too." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and, maybe and that's, that's why, why I said that's if you why have I a pet keep my hand in. I try to. <laughs> Uh, review papers for uh, scientific journals. And what it does yeah. is it keeps my mind sharp <laughs> about whether or not the objectives and oh. the science is being done correctly. Exactly. Now, on the another one um, is uh, accumulation of toxic materials like the ocean. What is happening there? Because we're finding that as much influence as our, all of our fresh waters Ninety-seven point five percent of our Earth is salt water. Only less than three percent is that fresh water to live and breathe and, and drink. Uh, what's left in sanitation? But that salt water sea, the ocean. What is happening to our environmental ecosystem influence there? Well, our just like our air, uh, a lot of places in the ocean are being used as dumps, and so we're seeing that. A lot of the species and the coral is a, because of warming. It may be because of toxic materials. But it's been interesting to watch the debate about the most important issue on Earth. And it used to be that it was consensus that was human carrying capacity. In other words, the population and the demands on the ecosystem. Now there's a lot of people that are saying, well, that's not as important as the accumulation of materials in various places on the surface of the earth because those materials will not allow for the ecosystem to function properly. In other words, you won't have the births and you won't have the uh, growth and you won't have productivity or sustainability where these toxic materials are accumulating. And the ocean is a good example because it's been in the press lately that there's, there are dead zones in the ocean, uh, allegedly because of the accumulation of toxic materials through dumping. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's probably good evidence to show that that is at least one of the factors. Now, Tom, I'm going to ask you there, as I was listening, um, let's say our forefathers found uh, methods of dumping in the ocean. Uh, this is not a new happening. Would it be safer to dump these uh, the garbage over in a land fill or pit and cover it up, then taking it all to the uh, taking it to the ocean. Which one? Because really, we shouldn't be the o using the ocean for a dumping ground. Right. I don't well, know. What do, it, what do we do it, with all this what, garbage? What, what's safe? I don't mean just no, garbage, but I mean the things what we're dumping in the ocean. Yeah. It, it, what's safer is you know depending on <laughs> depending on who you are and and where you get your resources. And so uh, one of the things that when I, when I think of soil exhaustion and the Bedouins moving around or the tribes in the Amazon moving around, mm -hmm. uh, what will happen is, like I said, they'll allow the system to recover. And our waste material 
uh, has to be in that kind of a, a cyclic category. Like uh, we used to dig pit toilets, but we had to cover them up and, uh, you know, go to a different place. Yeah. In a way, that's the, that's the waste that's accumulating. And so what we did back in the old days before there was a lot of technology was we moved the toilet till the other place was covered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, I just came up with an idea that, uh, you know, this bailout money we've got coming into the uh, to our uh, economy, uh-huh. Did you ever hear? And I and I do know they're gonna that IBM is going to be working very diligently to learn how to monitor. Um, t- they call it the Big Green uh, project. They're going to get into the business, and I'm thrilled of monitoring the water, the energy, and learning how to monitor that. And I think that's an enormous new movement. But you, but we need. Let's go see what they're doing with a bailout for recycling our garbage without having to dump it in the water of the ocean. Yes. Now, if they really want to help eco- the economy, can you imagine how many people they could t- put to work with recycling plants? Yes. So that's that would uh, start anything, to address little... one of those major problems of the accumulation of these yeah. materials. Yeah. Yeah. You know, isn't it funny how they can decide what to do with the money so quickly? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> it should be. It shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be rocket science in a sense. Our problems have been there for years, and if people haven't been thinking about them, we've really missed a chance in society. There are a lot of people that spend a lot of time thinking about the issues that we have to face. So if they weren't, <laughs> as ready, a hobby that too. Surprise, <laughs> that would surprise me more than if they said, oh, you mean there's a problem with toxic accumulation and, you know, toxic materials? I'd have to say, my God, where have you been? And can you imagine how many people they could put to work? Yes. Executives with tremendous amount of executive background, monitoring, learning how to monitor, people that are overseeing the market capabilities, actually down into the trenches, making sure it's happening. Can you imagine the thousands of people that could go to work with just that one? Just that yeah. one. There are so many needs in terms of working with uh, trying to to make sure that our ecosystem is functioning like a fine-tuned system that can adapt to the changes that are going to occur, like like we've talked about before. And thank you for saying the ecosystem, because I think this is why this show, and I want to do it again, is the ecosystem is all that is here, that is living and performing and affecting each. It could be the blade of grass, the soil, the rock each other, the human species, all species, but the water is the most important effect. And without the water, there is no second. And there's got to be air and oxygen in the air and more, and you hit it on. It's an ecosystem of every day, the foot on the ground of all life, all species. Right. Well, we did it again. Thank you for the classroom. Is there anything you'd like to uh, leave me with that you would like to teach me in a moment uh, that you think I should be left with a thought. Yeah, there's probably if I would to say that there was, we're going to manage an ecosystem, what we have to do, number one is increase our thinking over time and increase our thinking over space. With so patience. Think further out in the future and think about not only yourself but your neighbors. And be patient. You bet. Exactly. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. I want to do it again someday with you. I really appreciate you taking your time. You well, have a nice welcome. day. You have Thank a good you. day. Bye, Tom. Bye. Well, the ecosystem is vital, and this show is here because 
I believe the power of water is the future of all life on earth and your footprint and your importance to all of us. And I'm going to say to me, I get tears in my eyes when I think about all the years I've been studying and how important this is to you and you as a person. Can you imagine living in parts of the globe and having it so dry? Wouldn't you have more stress and be confused? And sometimes your attitude would be not very healthy. Just remember, when you get up in the morning, you drink plenty of water and you take advantage of all that you can learn to make yourself very important. Um, my second guest is Art Bernstein, and I think today we're going to... Art, are you with us? He's not there with us. We'll take a moment from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Listen. The world is talking. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. You wanted to uh, discuss today the ecosystem, I'm going to call it, of the uh, North American rivers uh, that cut through the major mountain ranges. And that's one of my favorite things is the mountain ranges that were formed for the rivers to flow. And uh, you're going to discuss the Columbia and the well, Potomac and the San Juan. And, 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 uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, you're going to have to forgive me, audience. I'm a little... Columbia River. Yeah cuts through the uh, through the Cascade Mountain Range, and mm-hmm. it you know it makes a it's a very large, wide mountain range, and it makes this huge gorge. You know, the river is three miles wide at that point. Mm-hmm. And you seem very interested in that. And then I got to wondering if there are any other rivers that do that in North America. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start in yeah. with our show because we've had the technical. Side, but I want to get you started on a, a, a subject here before we go further. Uh, you and I have discussed on the show many times to the world about, uh, and along with the U.S. Forest Service here in the United States, about the mountain ranges and, and, uh, and the, what, what they're doing to protect the national park systems and more. But Earth's ecosystem has a natural protection going on even if our government isn't there doing it every moment. And you and I want to discuss something about the Earth's protection of what is happening that's happened millions of years ago, and those mountain ranges that do have those rivers flowing through them uh, around the world. Uh, Explain to our audience before we move into some of this, you've studied this forever, and your background is this with a master's degree. Um, the mountain ranges were formed millions of years ago by nature. Right. And when there's a mount, when you're looking, like you've taught me, Art, when I'm looking across my vision as far as I can see, there may be mountains and there may not be mountains. If I'm looking at mountains, what, how did those mountains get there through the millions of years? Uh, there's three different ways. They're either volcanic uh, or they're folded or their fault blocks. Okay, let's back up for a second because so, you taught me a little bit there. So okay, let's say you have a volcano. Like Wait a minute, Art. Uh, There's a volcano. Volcanoes. Okay, pardon? 
I said the mountains and the Cascades are all volcanoes. Okay, so we have these volcanoes that happen. What about the uh, earthquakes? Is there an earthquake movement among the millions along there that also influences, or is it just volcanoes? Yes, every one of them is associated with earthquakes. Okay, okay. Uh, And then you're looking at some large... The land can get pushed together, and that can make it uh, go high up in the air. Okay. Um, Or the land can get pulled apart. And that can make uh, these long linear fault lines, which you get in the Klamath Basin and in the Great Basin. Mm-hmm. So those are the three mountain building processes. Okay, say them again, the three. Number one. Uh, volcanism. Volcano. Number two. and tension. Vo- uh, volcano. Volcanoes, the land squeezing together as the earth's surface moves and the plates move around, and the land pulling apart. Okay. As the Earth's surface move and the plates move. and the Millions and millions of years. Yeah. Okay. Now, when I'm looking at a mountain range out of my office here, I'm looking at a mountain range that has so many different mountains and, and one long, huge, huge, enormous mountain range that's so tall. Then these other little tiny mountains that are snuggled around there with no end of valleys. I bet one time I counted 22. Right. Um, when they're coming in that small... What happened with the volcano then? Was there just enough earth movement that made the mountain, but not fin- it didn't, didn't come back through the millions of years and keep forming it, making it higher? There are some very ancient volcanoes in the Siskiyous, uh, but you know, there's, there's no trace of them anymore. It's just turned to, to ancient granite. Um, we live in an unusual area because there's all three kinds of mountain building processes uh, in the vicinity. And uh, that doesn't happen very often. But the Siskiyous are actually a compression range. It's, it's folded and, uh, and the, 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 the Cascades is a volcanic range and the uh, mountains in the Great Basin, the Klamath Basin, are uh, pulling apart ranges, tension ranges. Mm-hmm. So anyway, now uh, I've been told by the U.S. Forest Service here in the valley of the Josephine County, Grand, uh, Oregon, uh, between the Sisicus, him, him, uh, Kalamopsis, and more mm-hmm. mountains, that right. during the Ice Age they were not affected here in this little bowl valley, uh, that it was warmed below. And uh, there was an enormous, uh, that's probably why maybe you made that comment, that uh, to go back so many millions of years ago, it's very difficult to detect anymore because there's so many millions of years that this has been going on with this particular ecosystem. Yeah, the last continental, well, it's it's not true that we weren't affected by glaciers. We weren't affected by the continental glaciers. Okay, there we go. Um, But, I mean, if you hike up uh, into the Trinity Alps or the... uh, the Marble Mountains or the Siskiyous to these little high mountain lakes, those are all caused by uh, by glaciers. Okay. Um, and when the uh, main continental glacier receded 10,000 years ago, most of them receded too, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a glacier, which I've seen, I've been to it, uh, up in the Trinity Alps um, by Grizzly Lake. And... The, the the Forest Service map from the 1960s and 70s 
shows it as a fairly large glacier. And if you looked at it in the 1980s, it was like one-tenth the size, and I'm pretty sure it's gone now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that glacier's probably been there a million years. And now, now with your background, and I'm not going to put you on the spot, but you've got a good background for a theory. Uh, with your background, are you going to call it uh, global warming, or are you going to call it the climate change? Do you think that'll come back in time, thousands of years, hundreds of years, that that glacier may happen again? Happen again? I was hoping so. It's a beautiful thing to see. You know, you know it was on its last leg, uh, and then we had a couple of real, real heavy winters. Mm-hmm. And But then it's dried up since then, so mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's hard to tell in the short run what's going to happen over 100,000 years. Exactly. And it's well, hard today, to tell over 100,000 years what's going to happen in a million years. Now, the major mountain ranges that we've talked about with the Columbia River uh, before that originates up in the Canada, comes through uh, northern... Yeah, it originates in the Canadian Rockies. Okay. And then it uh, comes across, and uh, and then it cuts the Cascade Mountain Range right in half. I'm going to ask you something. Do you have the ability to answer this um, and to theorize again? Where the uh, Niagara Falls is influenced by what? Well, the Niagara Escarpment and the Great Lakes. Okay, let's say the abundance of water. Is there, let's combine the two for a vision. The abundance of water coming from Canada, what's called the Columbia River, and then that particular one that's influencing the Niagara Falls. Yeah, it's actually called the St. Lawrence. Okay, which one do you believe? I'm going to have fun with this one. You, <laughs> just, just theorize. Which one has been there longer? Do you have an idea? Boy, oh, geez. yeah, yeah. Um, I know. Okay, well, which one do you theorize that might have the most amount of water? No idea. I would have to say that the Lake Superior has the most water of any lake in the world, with Lake Baikal and a couple others. And it's so. also being influenced by uh, Canada. Yes, the Canadian Shield. Yeah. Okay, let's go back over to the Columbia River, which is... Well, the, the, the Great Lakes are all formed by, by glaciers, and a lot of the uh, headwaters of the Columbia was. Uh-huh. Did I ever tell you about uh, the Grand Coulee and Dry Falls? No. That was the uh, glaciers changing the course of the Columbia. And there's this uh, big cliff. They, they can trace the course of the Columbia through the Grand Coulee, and over dry falls, and when the Columbia ran through that, that was the biggest waterfall that ever was anywhere. Hmm. But then uh, another glacier came, and it changed the course and to its, its present course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now that's just a big cliff. Okay. Okay, now you wanted to discuss today the mountain ranges in the Columbia, the Potomac, and San... How do you pronounce Yeah, I was trying to figure out another... River like the uh, Columbia that cuts through a mountain range. So it's the Potomac, and and, and, and the Potomac cuts through the the Blue Ridge Mountains, and, and then we're it talking cuts audience, through a, a range of the in, uh, in Appalachians. Uh-huh. But there's a whole bunch of more ranges of the Appalachians that it doesn't cut through. Okay, so those but, mountains we just taught them are very influential prior to the river flowing. Yeah, but so, uh, you know, it's very spectacular at uh, Harper's Ferry where mm-hmm. the Potomac cuts through the Blue Ridge Mountains. Mm-hmm. 
Now, what's really interesting is the San Joaquin. The San Joaquin is the major river in California. It's, it's the, the river that, go, that goes through the San Joaquin Valley and out into San Francisco Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, it completely cuts the Sierra Nevada range in half, and it's spectacular where it does it. Now, where does it originate? Uh, it originates actually on the east side of the Sierra Nevada mountains, and it cuts the range in half, and then it uh, drains the entire Sierra Okay, help me. Now, when you say the Sierra... Into, the, into San Francisco Bay. When it's Sierra, Sierra Nevada mountains now, where does it... However. Originate? Huh? I said however. Okay, however. Um, right at that spot on. is a great big volcano called uh, Mammoth Mountain. Okay. So... It's preventing the uh, the San Joaquin from going any further east. Now I got to ask you one. Because that mountain's right We've there. We've had so the heads. Technically, of it's, it's, it, it, it doesn't cut the range. We've had the heads of U.S. Forest Service from the Denver, uh, from Colorado, and around those uh, states. There, does that water, the San Joaquin water, have any influence coming in from the uh, Colorado? Yes. There we go. If if the headwaters of the uh, San Joaquin could somehow make it past this big volcano of Mammoth Mountain, and none of the rest of the uh, none of the rest of the uh, the Sierra Nevada is volcanic. Now the reason I but ask there's that this one big volcano sitting there just east of the Sierra Nevada. I've been very surprised. And and I, the San Joaquin from I know I, I know the audience has been surprised to listen how what the influences uh, have been of Colorado's waters for several states. Right. And Colorado has under in Colorado enormous amount of wealth of water. Yes. And it's supplying a lot of states. Uh, and now California is going to have an, a very serious drought this year. Yes. And I'd like to have somebody on about that drought in and California and what why weren't now, they Now you're aware that when the Colorado the mouth of the Colorado is completely dry and has been for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so that by the time you know, the boy passes Yuma, Arizona, and down into the Gulf of California, um, there's no river anymore. 100% of the water has been taken out of it. Wow. My goodness. So, and actually, considering the length of the river, it's not really that wide. or It doesn't have really that much water in it. Mm-hmm. But it just, you know, it uh, feeds the entire Southwest, mm-hmm. including most of Arizona. So, well, California, they said, is going to have, and it's been proven a fact that it's going to have the, one of the worst droughts they've ever had. Yeah. And you can imagine the ecosystem, the stress on human species, stress on all life there, because there's not going to be enough water in the air. Because when you have enough water on the surface of the Earth, there's enough oxygen in the air. Yeah, and so, as we speak, it's been pouring down rain for two days here in Oregon. So. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. For what that's worth. Well, I thank you for being with us today, Art. Oh, thank you. Okay, and it's nice to talk with you. You have a nice day. You too. Take care. Bye. Well, we've had technology problem today, and I am so sorry. Our show looks like it's come to an end. Earth has a secret. Embrace your life every precious moment. Earth is whispering, never say goodbye. Have a nice day and leave your footprint. Thank you for listening.